It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 499 of Locked on Raptors for uh, Wednesday? I have no clue what the day is anymore. Wednesday, April 24th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team focus shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Floyd. We've got Locked On NBA Daily with a bunch of different hosts chipping in there with some weekly contributions from Ben Golliver and Sam Amick and Trevor Booker, among others. So make sure you're please checking all of that out. And if you find a show on the network that you want to support, as always, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, and also Himalaya, which is a new podcast app, which is great for personalizing your own podcast playlists. If you are in the market for a new podcast app, that is the one to check out. Himalaya, download it, and uh, find Locked On Raptors and all the other Locked On shows on there. All right, on today's show, we are breaking down a, an uproarious, joyous occasion. The Raptors have dispatched the Orlando Magic by a score of 115.96 in Game 5 of their series. I was going to do a podcast last night from the arena, but I had to be up for radio at like 4.30 a.m. this morning, so I decided to get home as soon as I could, and we did just do a podcast today, which is what we're doing now, joined by our pal, Vivek Jacob. Vivek, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Just, uh, you know, a little bummed by Manchester United's performance against Man City. Mm. Uh, uh Although I guess in some respects the 2-0 loss to City is 
better than a four 0 loss to Everton. Uh, but <laughs> you know, uh, we're here. We're here to talk Raptors, and obviously the Raptors are doing their thing. Um, although in some ways I am also a little bit annoyed about that because I predicted a sweep, and <laughs> the, team, the team the team we saw over the last four games is exactly I predicted a sweep. Yeah, uh, the douchebag sweep was alive and well. Shouts to John Godis who predicted that exact happening uh, on the podcast we did the preview of the, the series. So good on you, John. Congratulations. But um, yeah, it, I I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> it, 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 last night's game. It just kind of felt like a culmination of a lot of things. I don't know. I got a little sentimental about it. I haven't written about it yet, but I'm sure I'm going to get very sentimental when I write for tomorrow about it. But it just felt like it made everything worth it, you know? And obviously there's a lot more in in terms of, like, difficult matchups to come. But for the Raptors to just, like, walk through a first-round series for the first time literally ever, to not have no stress, like, there's no worry about... Oh man, like they got to go back to Orlando for a game six, and what goes wrong there? Like, what happens if it goes wrong there? And, and just sort of the the dread that typically comes with this time of year, even in series where the Raptors typically end up winning. Like they've been pretty good in first rounds, except for the uh, the Washington series. Like they've usually been successful, either uh, pushing the Nets maybe further than they were supposed to, or just being really really good and winning the series. You know, and, and pulling it out even if they have some rough patches along the way. Uh, and for this just to be like, you know, they, they, they walked through it and game one, sure, there was the hiccup there, but everything else after that, it just felt like, yeah, this team is actually what we thought it was going to be all year long. And it is different and it does feel uh, extremely different compared to, you know, what, what it's been in the past. I don't know. Did you feel sort of that same sense of like calm and just appreciation of how different this team is team is as the game was was coming to an end there you know in the middle of the first quarter when the Raptors were up 22 to 3 uh yeah i think i've felt that confidence for a while now to see that sort of to receive that affirmation after um game 1 did everything it possibly could to try and wash that away uh, i think was nice and yeah, again, you're seeing the Raptors sort of meet expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And just do what they're supposed to. This was a team, all due respect to Orlando and the impressive run that they went on in the second half of the season, the great defense that they played. Um, they're frankly just no match for a legitimate championship contender. And that's what the Raptors are right now. They have, um, if not the best player in the East, the second best player in the East. And they have the moving parts around him that complement him perfectly. Uh, you have uh, you have a, a Kyle Lowry and a seven foot Kyle Lowry. You have Danny <laughs> Green, um, who's a sharp shooter. You have uh, Pascal Siakam, who is who is most likely the most improved player in the league. And you know, hopefully, the the bench is showing signs that they can come around. And honestly, I think Nick Nurse, after you know what. I would call it disappointing game one showed some uh, encouraging signs as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think everything is sort of uh, rounding into form at the right time. And that's I, I feel like that's sort of what they've done all season. Um, you know, some people might call it, you know, just sort of showing up when they need to. Uh, but I think they understand that, you know, it's go time now that, uh, that that the game one was a nice wake up call that they have to play at a certain level of intensity, show a certain level of compete uh, from minute one to minute forty eight, and uh, I think that bodes well for everything that's to come against Philadelphia. 
Yep, uh, agreed with everything you said there. Just the professionalism, I guess, is the word for it. For them to come out <laughs> after that loss and be like, okay, yeah, we weren't happy with that, and now we're going to absolutely suffocate the magic. I mean, I think my favorite part of the series were like the first few minutes of games uh, two, three, and five, where like the defense was so oppressive and so just like. <sighs> It was just mean. <laughs> That's really what it was. I mean, the Magic would, you know, they missed some good looks here and there. And, like, you don't go down 22 to 3 without missing some good looks inevitably. But, like, the Raptors made that happen, man. Like, it was a 22 to 3 type feel. Uh, you know, it felt like that was, like, a just score at that time. Like, the Raptors were just all over every action Orlando was running. They're just rotating on a string, uh, and no one's at a position. No one is, like, pointing fingers or anything like that. It's just, like, they're all just in sync. Kyle comes out, scores nine points before you can blink. It, it was just it, just clinical, and that's not a word you've gotten to say about the Raptors very often in the past. I mean, I wrote a couple weeks ago, like, the big ranking of all the Raptors' playoff games in history, and I really can only come across three playoff games. I guess I was going since 2014, but... I only came across three, maybe four playoff games since 2014 that were, like, stress-free and that were just, like, clinical, I guess would be the word for it, or just, like, professionally done and not any sort of ulcers or worrying to be had with them. And they added, they doubled the total in this in this series. Like, every win that they had, even the one where they won by five points in Game 4, like, or, or was it game, yeah, game 3, sorry, like, even that, like... They didn't really feel like that was out of control. They went on that 15-0 run in the middle of the third quarter, and it was like, oh, yeah, this is over. And the Magic made a bit of a run near the end of the game. But, like, I don't know. I didn't have any doubt that Kyle Lowry was going to make a crazy play to save the game or like or something like that would happen. It just felt like they had that game in, in their pocket the entire time. And, once again, not a familiar feeling with this team. And so all of that kind of goes into why it just feels so, so different. And, honestly, last night watching sort of the reactions come in from people and sort of looking ahead to the Sixers, the lack of concern concerns me because it's it's weird. It's bizarre. It's like, what the hell? The Raptors fans are, like, not in their feelings right now. This is this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it, 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 was, uh, it was jarring and really awesome to see that people are just like, okay, finally willing to, like, be arrogant about this team because, man, they are very much worth your arrogance, arrogance I think. They're, they're just a... Uh, they're a monstrosity right now. They're a machine. Their defense is just like off the charts, man. And the starting five is so, so good. And I, you know, talking to some people yesterday, Raptors fans, even a couple Sixers people, like it feels like the Raptors are pretty overwhelming favorites going into the second round here, um, which is not a thing that's ever happened. I know there was the Heat series a couple years ago where most people picked the Raptors, but like I don't think it's ever been this obvious that, oh yeah, this team is like they should win and it's weird because the Sixers are really good and they've like cashed in their entire future and they are a team that is like very much in the market and in the business of winning a title this year that's like kind of what all of this was for for them and for them to run into this Raptors team in the second round like obviously a series still has to happen and you know there's there's every chance the Raptors could lose it I suppose but the amount of confidence that you've seen from Raptors fans and then like the few Sixers people I've talked to who seem very very concerned and not at all pleased with the matchup that is a very, very different sensation, which uh, Raptors fans enjoy this, man. Even if it doesn't end at the end of the year with a title or a finals appearance or whatever, you get to enjoy for a little while here feeling like a little bit cocky about your team, which is very, very cool and very new 
and uh, is something that you kind of strive for. That's this is what you do. Like, yeah, you build a team to win, win titles and everything, but you also build a team to like enrich the fan experience and make fans happy. And like this team has very much earned that sort of high regard that fans seem to hold it in right now. Um, I, I, we could sort of go into the nuts and bolts of Game Five if you want. <laughs> Not a whole lot really to pull from it, right? Like the, they just kind of did the thing they'd done for the last four games, and yep. just kind of you know put the foot on the neck of the magic and suffocated the offense and were able to get whatever they wanted on on the other side of the ball. But um, did you have like a big takeaway from Game Five? And, and if not, like maybe just sort of a bigger takeaway from the entire series about how the Raps have played. Uh well, yeah. In terms of tying both the game and the series together. Um, I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on this. I honestly, there were uh, multiple possessions over the course of this series and in this game where I feel like I'm watching that Miami Heat team from, uh, you know, 2012, 2013, uh, in the way that it almost seems like they're protecting the paint and getting out to shooters all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have this scramble mode, this ability to switch. Uh, that very few teams in this league right now can do, um, and especially at the level that they can do it. And then you, when we talk about scrambling, the ability... I mean, this was a, an Orlando team that w- is very... You know, they're great at taking care of the ball. They finished the, the season, you know, sixth in turnover percentage, Um and they finished. They exited the postseason with the worst turnover percentage uh, of the sixteen playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Like that shows you how incredible this Raptors defense is at imposing their will. Steve Clifford said multiple times over the course of the series, you know, that we really need to take care of the ball um, because they they live on the break. They get out, and they run, and they're so efficient. And as much as they made that a focus, they could not do it. Like. We t- you, you talk about, um, you know, superstar players on the offensive end sort of uh, bending the defense to their will. Mm-hmm. The Raptors can do that with their defense. And it is unbelievable. Uh, it, like, what they can do on the defensive end is why you, you believe the ceiling is where it is. Like, they can go on defensive runs. And we and that's, I mean, you, you know, people might look at a 31-7 to score and think that they just came out and made every shot and... Um, honestly, like Orlando missed, you know, ten of their first eleven shots, and the defense w- was incredible. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. The, the defense, when they're fully locked in, when they're engaged, um, it's really, really tough to score on them, especially in the half court. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. 
Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. It's maybe the first time I've ever had a team or like watched a team where I enjoy watching them play defense more than I enjoy watching them play offense. And that's not to say they're not a very good offensive team because they had like 112 offensive rating in this series and kind of got whatever they wanted. And obviously like right. Kawhi is an offense unto himself and Kyle was a jitterbug doing all of his Kyle Lowry things. And, um, you know, outside of Danny Green, I thought everyone kind of had a pretty good offensive series. Even, yeah, I guess not Fred. Fred was a little bit shaky, but it, like Powell, Abaka, uh, everyone else who played, like all very strong offensive series. There were some possessions mixed in there that were just breathtaking, you know, just sort of swinging the ball and just making the magic pay for sending extra attention Kawhi's way and just sort of finding the, the, the holes in the defense that were left behind and picking those apart over and over again. And there were some beautiful sequences of ball movement and prolonged possessions. And even then, still, like, I found myself just, like, looking forward to the next time they went and snuffed out an offensive possession for the Magic. It's it's really, really breathtaking to watch. And I don't want to, like, hijack Kevin Arnovitz's points that he made today on the low post because, like, he made some awesome points just about how smart everyone on the Raptors' defense is and how just, like... It doesn't even matter really to scheme. Like you can have all the schemes you want, but if you have guys that are as smart and have the defensive IQ that all these guys have, working in conjunction with each other, the scheme almost becomes irrelevant. And it's just like making reads on the fly and working in in you know in synchronicity with each other, and that makes you an even more potent defense because it's not like a team can game plan for any of that, right? It's just like oh yeah. Uh, Kyle Lowry sometimes going to do this and sometimes going to do that and sometimes Gasol is going to make this read and, and make this switch or not make that switch and, and it's just it, it all kind of and I think Zach Lowe said it as well on the podcast that after the game he was talking to Marcus Gasol and, was, and Gasol was like yeah we're figuring it out and that certainly uh, became obvious in this series um, and yeah it, it's just it's really really cool to watch and I, I highly recommend Anyone who's looking to work up a sweat, just listen to that five or ten minute passage of them talking about the Raptors playing defense. It's uh, it's pretty good podcasting, I must say. It's uh, you know, listen to this podcast multiple times first, and then go listen to that one. But uh, it's it's really really good stuff, and obviously like Arnovitz and Low talking about it makes it kind of validates everything we're talking about and seeing because they know their shit. And yeah, it, it, the defense rules, man. <laughs> they were just so. So suffocating in this series. The starters ended up like ran the magic off the floor. They played 96 minutes over the course of five games, which is kind of low considering they were getting up to like 24, 25 minutes in some games in the regular season leading into the end of the season there. And I would imagine against the Sixers, who have obviously a very good starting 5-2, we'll see the starters get a little bit more run per game, I would think. Hopefully OG comes back at some point in the series and kind of makes the rotation a little easier to manage. Um, that that would be a big thing too. But like if you can get the starters out there for 25 minutes a game, that's great. And in their 96 minutes, they were a plus 46.3 net rating, 127.4 offensive, 81.0 defensive. It's just, it's bonkers, man. Like, and... It's still a small sample, and it's the Magic, obviously. And, you know, the full season numbers for the Magic suggest they weren't a very good offensive team. I think they were 22nd in offensive efficiency this year. But they were, like, top 10 in the last third of the season when they were really good. 
they obviously had some juice. Um, I think a lot of that juice kind of uh, stemmed from DJ Augustine as a pick-and-roll ball handler, and the Raptors snuffed that out after the first half of Game 1. Whatever. So it's like, no, okay, we're going to put Danny Green on him, and that's it. And that kind of, outside of the three to, to end the game, that was pretty much the end of DJ Augustine having any impact on the series. You know, Nick Vucevic is a very good player. Marcus Gasol completely snuffed him out. And just up and down the roster, just very good defensive performances all around. I thought Norm even was pretty good when he was in there. Abaka didn't get brutalized. Aside from, I guess, that sequence uh, sort of in the in the part of the third quarter of Game 3 um, before they sort of got... Was it Game 3 or 4 where they got foul trouble? I can't remember. It's all blending together at this point. Game 3. Game 3 is the one where uh, Gasol got in foul trouble. Yeah, game that's right. Yeah, is where both Gasol and uh, Kawhi got in foul trouble. That's right. So Game 3 was where Vooch was, like, actually kind of got going against Abaka when Gasol went yeah. out early. But after that, like they went on that 15-0 run, and really outside of that one stretch, Abaka held his own pretty well against Vooch as well, which I did not expect to be the case in this series. And, uh, you know, they just rendered their best offensive player, or their two best offensive players, at least their two most important offensive players, useless. Um, even with Terrence Ross, you know, I guess the luxury of having very few good players around Terrence Ross when he was on the court is that you could send blitzes his way and just get the ball out of his hands and force him to make tough decisions or just force him into bad shots. And, you know, they, they did a really good job of flummoxing, it, flummoxing him too. So it, it just, again, it's the magic. Maybe it's not, like, the greatest canvas upon which to paint, but I the, the picture that they painted was pretty damn remarkable, and I, I think it should carry over reasonably well into the second round. Um, before we continue on talking about the series, we'll get to some sort of series awards and stuff like that. I want to tell people about our sponsor for today, and that is WiseCam. Wise is the indoor camera that does it all. Wise is packed with premium features that allows you to see everything from anywhere for only 20 bucks. 1080p full HD, images so clear you won't miss a thing, night vision and two-way audio, you get it all with Wise. Wise's mission is to bring amazing smart home products accessible into every single home. Check on your home anytime with Wise's app's live stream. Check Connect with life, sorry, as it unfolds in sharp focus. Live stream with eight times digital zoom. You get free 14-day rolling cloud storage with Wise. No subscriptions requ- required. So if something happens in your house, you want to go back and see what, what the kids were up to two weeks ago, you can go back 14 days, free rolling cloud storage. And the cameras are pretty cheap. It's just 20 bucks a camera. So you can get as many as you want. Put them all over your house if you want to. You can have one out in your yard if you want to watch wildlife and see if what the birds are doing at your bird feeder. You want to watch the kids in their playroom you can do that you want to have it like have it work as a baby monitor that also works too you can do if you're away and there's contractors working at your home set up your wise camera to you know check out the where the where the contractors are working to make sure everything's working okay there's really no limit to what you can do with wise inside your house and you want more they've got that too for just ten dollars more wise cam pan gives you 360 degree coverage in under three seconds life moves fast your camera should too 110 degree per second rotation speed, 360 degree horizontal range, and a 93 degree vertical range. Patrol your room with pan scan. Set the camera's patrol route with up to four custom waypoints, and you can track the action as WiseCam pan automatically detects, tags, and tracks motion within its field of view. 
Keeping up with life in real time has never been so easy. It works with your Alexa or your Google Home, and you get, again, free 14-day rolling cloud storage. Works anywhere in the world from your mobile phone. You could be in Europe for all, you, for all I care. If you're on vacation or something, you want to check in what's going on at home, make sure everything's in, in fine working order. You can do it on the mobile app with your phone wherever you are. To get Wise, go to wise.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price on Wise. That's W-Y-Z-E dot com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price on WiseCam. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right. Vec, let's quickly run through some uh, series awards, I suppose. I guess the big one, I usually do this after every Raptor series. Uh, maybe not the losses because I'm too sad, but series MVP. This may seem easy. I, I this like this might be very obvious, but uh, who do you got as the the series MVP for Raptors Magic? Uh, my series MVP is Pascal Siakam. Ooh, did not expect mm. that. Explain yourself. Well, I think coming into the series, uh, you know, obviously he's shown incredible growth over the course of the regular season, um, but I I was curious. Um, to see how that would translate into postseason. Obviously, when you when you compare it to the last postseason, you know you got into a, a bunch of foul trouble, never really got into a rhythm. Um, and then you look at the uh, appendectomy for OG Ananobi, just how critical that four spot was going to be. Um, so for him to eat up all the minutes that he ate up at the four spot, to play as efficiently as he did, to give everything that he gave, both in terms of points and what he what he gave on the defensive end. Uh, to me, he was the MVP of the series. Yeah, that's uh, that's a compelling argument. I had not really considered Pascal just because like Kawhi was so outside of the game where he went five and nineteen. He was so overwhelming and just like the Magic had no answer for him, and the amount of defensive resources they had to use to try to stop him to no avail just opened up everything for every other Raptor. And, you know, it all works together, right? And I'm sure the, the defensive well, attention well, would have been... Well, think about it. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, think about this. He goes 5 for 19 in that game three. I mean, they they don't win that game three without Pascal's 30, right? No, totally. Yeah, you're, you're totally right there. Um, and, like, it all kind of works together, right? I mean, like, I'm sure the, the attention on Leonard would have been a little bit more aggressive had Siakam not been such a very obvious option. And... You are right. Like, if there was a question coming into the series, it's how is Pascal's you know production going to carry over to the postseason? You know, the Jonathan Isaac thing loomed large as well, and you know, Jonathan Isaac might be the biggest defensive test Siakam comes across. I mean, maybe in a potential series down the line against the Bucks, like maybe 
Uh, he'll draw the Giannis assignment, but you know, I think Isaac was really, really well cut out to guard Siakam, and the numbers over the course of the regular season suggested that was the case, and it just didn't matter. And you know, there were some nice defensive stops that that Isaac had on, on Siakam, and I, I don't think Siakam's true shooting percentage would be quite as high as it was in the regular season, which was just like sixty-three percent, something crazy like that. But um, you know, Siakam got it done, and he hit, he started hitting his threes in the last three games as well after being over for the first two games. That to me is the most encouraging thing because. You know, he can be great off the dribble all you want, but if he's a really, really, you know, unreliable shooter and he's going over four, over five, and you know, the the trend of the first two games continued, then maybe the way teams approach the Raptors kind of changes. But if he's gonna go three of five when he gets his opportunities, or he's gonna hit two of four, whatever it's gonna be, and he's gonna knock those threes down at a good percentage, like that just you can't you can't Tony Allen him now. And that changes how you have to guard the Raptors. That makes everything easier for everybody else. Um, I still go with Kawhi just because, like, maybe it's just, like, the the sensation of getting to watch him in the playoffs for the first time and, like, just watching the way he just kind of picked apart the Magic so methodically and there was just nothing they could do. And it rendered Aaron Gordon entirely... Like, Aaron Gordon, I think, is very good. And if I'm a Magic fan, like, the two things that I'm excited about from this series are Isaac and Gordon. Everything else, you know, you could take or leave, but... Uh, those two are, are awesome, and uh, you know Kawhi just kind of made it so it's it felt like there was no resistance. Even when they sent traps his way, he'd split him. Like how many times did he just walk to the rim for dunks? Like and to show early on against, I'm not saying this is the best defensive team the Raptors are going to play, but it's a very good defensive team. Like the offense is one thing; they were a, like a legit defense all year long, and you know we're always going to be a very tough challenge for the Raptors to score in the half court. And it just it didn't matter, and and that's a big just Kawhi being such a a craftsman and so just like adept at just picking apart a, a defense. It just it was it was remarkable to watch, and I thought his defense was really good too. I thought his defense in Game Four in particular was like off the charts. He had like a couple like chase down blocks and stuff like that. We just come out of nowhere. He, you know, he had a couple just like rip away steals that are kind of vintage Kawhi. Um, you know, the kind of stuff that he used to do to like Andrew Wiggins and stuff like that. It's like, oh yeah, I, I'm on board for this too. He, you know, he had a 68% true shooting in the series. Like, it's absurd. He yeah. leads yeah. the league so far in, in the postseason and win shares for 48 as well. And uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. The best PER. You know, people don't care about PER, but. Uh, this is all basketball reference stuff. He's like leading in a whole bunch of advanced metrics from the first round too. Like he was something else. And I, I guess the first time getting to watch a guy like that in the playoffs and just sort of the stark difference between what that guy has been in the past for the Raptors. And again, I don't want to disparage DeMar DeRozan. I love DeMar, blah, 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 blah. But like it's so different. And seeing it, you know, in person, seeing it in a series and not just in the regular season, uh, I think that gives me just sort of the shock of it all. Gives me gives you know him a bit of an edge in my mind ahead of Siakam, but like it's hard to really argue against Siakam either. He was awesome and gives me a lot of hope about what's about to come against the Sixers. I thought Kyle Lowry also after his game one, he was just like the driving force of everything and was a plus a million in the series. You could give it to him too. Gasol's defense, like while he shot like three times in the entire series, like his defense was so instrumental in turning over. And I think Clifford talked about. Gasol quite a bit as just like a guy who's just so smart and so adept at forcing turnovers, just poking balls free, 
just like hawking passes without even moving, just like playing octopus and just like just picking balls out of the air. Um, it, 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 he was awesome too. I don't think he was the MVP by any means, but he's. It's all very good. I'm feeling so happy today. It's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think all the points you've made encapsulate why this Raptors team is a legitimate championship contender, right? When you look at all those. Uh, you know the, those first teams in the past when they went to the finals, you couldn't really predict if someone, if Tim Duncan or Ginobili or Parker or Kawhi Leonard uh, could be the finals MVP. Heck, even that year when Danny Green made all those threes, there was a chance that he could have been the guy. Um, you, you know, obviously with Miami, it was probably always going to be LeBron, but Dwayne Wade was right there. Chris Bosh played a huge role, um, and so now you look at this Raptors team like. Would it shock you, you know, if someone uh, like a Marcus All was the most important guy in a series? No. Would it, would it shock you if Pascal Siakam was? No. Kyle Lowry? No. Kawhi Leonard? No. So, again, the, the weapons on this team, um, the different ways in which they can attack you uh, and the synergy that they've shown on the defensive end, I think, you know, are the reason why everyone should be so excited about this team. My tummy feels so warm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's like I ate soup, and I just feel so just like enveloped in warmth and comfort. Uh, yep. We should look ahead, I suppose, to the uh, Sixers. They're a good team. They beat the piss out of the Nets. I don't think the Nets are particularly good. I think the Magic are actually better than the Nets, and uh, I'll go. I'll stand by that until I die. The Nets play garbage ball, and the, the Magic actually could play defense and stuff. Um, but so I don't I don't know how much we exactly learned about the Sixers against the Nets. Uh, I guess it was a bit more of a competitive five than the Raptors and Magic series was. Uh, and like I said, Sixers fans don't seem to be particularly jazzed about this matchup. What are your first impressions? I'm gonna do a big ass podcast tomorrow with uh, Adam Aronson from Liberty Ballers, so we don't have to go too too deep here. But uh, first impressions of the Raptors Sixers matchup, things that you're early on looking out for. Uh, so I think just first impression. I, I when I think about it, I feel like it could be an underwhelming series. I feel like almost similar to when uh, the playoffs began, because all regular season we were waiting for the playoffs to begin, mm-hmm. and then I was sort of looking into the Orlando matchup, and I was like, "Yeah, you know what? The Raptors aren't really going to have any issues here." Um, obviously. The, the 76ers present a lot more challenges, but I still do think that the Raptors are strong favorites to win this series. Um, I'd actually be quite surprised if they lost. Um, now, whether that's in five games or six games or seven is a uh, whole entire matter, uh, different matter, but uh, I do expect them to win this series. In terms of things I'm looking out, uh, looking out for, I'm looking to see if the trend of uh, what Kawhi Leonard has been able to do against Ben Simmons continues. I'm looking to see if what Marc Gasol has been able to do against Joel Embiid over the course of his career continues. And frankly, if those two things do continue, the 76ers have no chance whatsoever because those are their two best players. And if their two best players uh, don't look anywhere, anything like it, then they don't stand a chance. Yeah, I... I'm having a hard time like getting too worried either, and I feel like, you know, the, that's like the anxious Raptors fan mind creeping in again for me, and it's like you should be worried. It's the Sixers; they're good, but it's like 
I don't know. I, I think the Raptors have a lot of the matchup edges. I think the big thing for me is like where Kyle Lowry fits in defensively, and if he's going, if his size, his lack thereof, I suppose, is going to uh, become an issue. And like, if that's the biggest thing you concern, you're concerned about Kyle Lowry not being able to guard bigger people than him, then maybe you're doing okay. <laughs> um, like, because he's very good at that, and I think he can hang with J.J. Redick. He's always good at sort of dealing with those off-the-ball types, fighting through screens, and just sort of giving guys a hard time away from the ball. And, like, I think Gasol on Embiid is about as good a matchup as you can hope for. I don't expect Embiid to be shut down. Like, the dude's a monster. He's putting up ridiculous numbers on one leg, essentially, against the Nets. And, you know, if Embiid were, like, fully healthy, I think I would be a little bit more concerned about maybe yeah. him you know, imposing his will on Gasol a bit, but I think if there's even, like, a little bit of an injury lingering there, which I think there very much is, obviously, then I think the edge goes... I'm not saying Gasol is going to win that matchup, per se, but I think he will not lose it by enough to sort of give the Raptors the edge everywhere else. I think Leonard on Simmons is, like, undeniable. I think the stat is that uh, Simmons had more turnovers than field goals when, when Kawhi guarded him this year. Uh, that's insane. He had a triple-double with turnovers in a game where Kawhi guarded him this year. Kawhi ripped the ball out of his hands late in a game to seal it, I think, in their first matchup this year. Like, he is... Like, Leonard is tailor-made, I think, to guard Simmons, and I, I think Nurse is going to be able to sort of find a way, the way, like, Brad Stevens did last year, to... You're never going to really exploit Ben Simmons not being able to shoot because he is so good at just using the space you give him that, like, you're not going to be able to just, like, Tony Allen him, like, the way you could a non-shooter typically because he's just such a different, you know, he does so much with that space and if you give him too much leeway and runway, he's just going to, like, get to the rim and dunk on you and, or he's just going to, you know, get the ball moving for a swing or, what, or something like that. But I think Leonard is a good enough defender and he's shown that he's got enough, you know, sort of defensive pop to stick with Simmons that... Um, you cut that off, and, and it becomes really difficult. I, and I think just the the fact that Siakam's just kind of there. You're going to have him probably guarding Tobias Harris, but if you, you need to go on him, you know, have him run on Simmons for a run, like, I think you can do that. And if Green's having trouble, with, you know, or if Lowry's having trouble with Redick and you want to just, like, stick Lowry on Jimmy Butler for a little bit and see how that works, like, you can have Danny Green chase around J.J. Redick. You can have Danny Green guard Simmons. Like, they have a lot of different options, I think. Outside of Gasol, who's going to guard... Embiid probably every time he's on the court, nonstop. Like, I think everyone else could spend a lot of different time on a lot of different guys, throw a lot of different looks at, at Philly's way. And Brett Brown has not really struck me as the kind of guy who is, you know, all that adept at sort of working around the matchup issues that his roster represents or, or presents him, you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, he's mm-hmm. like his, his seat seems hot for a reason, I think, and maybe he's got maybe like the Dwayne Casey syndrome, where amazing culture builder, huge big picture guy, but maybe the in-game tact- like tactical stuff is where he lacks, and that's going to kill them in this series if that's the case, because there will have to be a lot of counters that the Sixers try to throw out against what the Raptors are able to throw defensively and offensively. Like the Sixers are very good, and and and, and beads great at the rim and everything, but Reddick can be attacked. I think Harris can be attacked. There's just way more wounds to be sort of poked at if you're the Sixers than if you are the Raptors I think um, so I'm also feeling an unnerving unnerving amount of confidence about the Raptors against Philly right now uh, maybe that'll change as I sort of dig into a little bit more here over the next couple of days but my initial thoughts like I'm kind of riding that line between picking Raps in five or Raps in six and maybe that feels too confident but 
uh, I don't know. It, it just it feels like a matchup they're really, really well suited for. Like the best matchup possible of the remaining East teams, I think for sure. Yeah, I think that's all extremely valid. Um, yeah, and I think the Raptors fans need to embrace that. They are the favorites uh, to win this series. They sh- they sh- you should expect them to win this series, and frankly, you should be disappointed if they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, carry that swag in a game one, in a game two. Uh, and flex a little bit because you've waited a long time for this team. Yep. Uh, by the way, the schedule just dropped for or not, not the official like times for every game, but days. So game one will be Saturday, uh, the twenty seventh. Game two, Monday the 29th. Game three, Thursday the second of May. Game four in Philly Sunday at three thirty p.m. Um, the Thursday game three is at eight o'clock. By the way, Sunday the fifth, and then. Uh, after that, the Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday for games five through seven. So uh, a little more spread out than I thought it was going to be. Actually, that's uh, you know, there's like three two day breaks in there. That's surprising to me. But hey, take it I suppose. Load management, baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Vivek. I think we've covered everything pretty extensively here. Do you have any parting shots before we wrap this thing up? Uh, no, you can check out my usual stuff uh, at Yahoo Sports Canada. Um, did a preview uh, pod with William Liu and Alex Wong for the Philly series uh, at the Raptors Over Everything podcast, so be sure to check that out as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek and Jacob. Sounds good, dude. You can uh, find me at Woodley Sean. Subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, and Himalaya as well, if you're in the market for a new podcast app experience. Uh, I'm going to have a piece for Thursday morning, probably something along the lines of what we talked about today, just like leaning into the swag a little bit. Uh, so stay tuned for that at Raptors HQ. Uh, I'll be at game one. I th- it should be at game one. Uh, hopefully, I'm so uh, people don't care about this. I have tickets to the very first Forge FC game on Saturday at 1 p.m., and I'm really hoping game one. On, on Saturdays at 8 p.m. so I can go to Forge and then get to the game. Otherwise, I'm going to have to skip the Forge game, which would be disappointing. Sure. <laughs> uh, these are problems nobody cares about. Uh, all right. Well, I hope it works out for you, buddy. I do, too. Uh, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody, and uh, we will talk to you next time tomorrow with another episode of Lockdown Raptors joined by Adam Aronson of Liberty Ballers to preview the Sixers more in-depth than we just did in the last 10 minutes here. Uh, And, yeah, that'll be fun. So stay tuned for that, and we'll talk to you tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Cheers. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 